Well, good morning, everybody, to uh, this Sunday service. Thanks to John and Liz uh, for leading us in worship. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Ian Smith. I'm Senior Minister here at Billericay Baptist Church, and my privilege to bring God's Word to us today. Uh, we've got a bit of narrative preaching um, going on. Uh, we're looking at four characters of the Bible, two in, in a little bit more depth, uh, the first two, than the second two. So don't worry if you feel like this is going on. But we're continuing our series of Faith Over Fear. Uh, faith over fear of something. It's not saying um, we're not going to get the something, whatever that is. We're saying we can have faith over the fear of whatever that is. And this morning's uh, sermon title is Faith Over the Fear of Fragility. Not faith over being fragile, but faith over the fear of being fragile. So before we start, let me pray for us, and then we're going to journey through this uh, together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for showing us all your characteristics in your sacred book, the Bible. And we thank you also, Lord, that some of the big heroes that we see in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that you can teach us life lessons from their lives. And we can see their vulnerability, their fragility, that we can so often miss. And I pray, Lord, for all of us, whether we're feeling particularly low or fragile this morning or not, that when those times comes, we can rely on you. And I pray, Lord, that your word from this morning will really help people that are struggling at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the past, uh, if you know me and my personality, I'm quite normally upbeat and bullish. I've been accused of being too bullish. Uh, I've even been told, sometimes in church, I'm a bit too happy. Um, But the fact is, uh, I don't really see a problem with it. But sometimes it can be a bit of a front. Behind the scenes, you can often find uh, the normal things that other people are struggling with. There are insecurities, fear of failure, low self-esteem, maybe a lack of confidence. A lot of leaders, actually, not just in church, in business as well, have this. They're having sometimes what they call imposter syndrome. You know, if anyone knew that I'm actually not as good as they think I am, they would throw me out. And of course, we're, we're... We're kind of brought up, or at least I was, with that kind of stiff upper lip thing. Be a man. And anything else could be seen as weak. But what about fear? What about illness, uh, whether that's physically or mentally? What about struggling to cope? It's not all the time, but we all know it can happen. What does God say in his word about all this? Should I be able to be depressed if I'm a Christian? Isn't that showing lack of faith? Should I doubt? Should I feel insecure? Shouldn't really all things be fantastic all of the time? Just like the image many of us give out on any given Sunday. But the image that I might be too bullish or too happy came crashing down last year when many of you saw the reality. And those that thought maybe that was my personality saw another side last year. And it can be weakness and fragility. And the reason for that is because we're in a fallen, imperfect world. Life sometimes gets at you. We all know that. There'll be hardly any of you, the other side of this camera, thinking, no, it's rosy all the time. It's not. It can get at us. There is an enemy that is against you because you're a Christian. But the good news is, and I love this, the world doesn't get the last word, or the enemy, or even this life. God gets the last word. He also shows you how to cope, even if you feel weak. 
When I was younger, I remember being in my mum and dad's garden and this bird was flying through the air. It was a really weird experience because the bird was flying. I was watching it and I thought, you know, it's, they're so powerful. They fly. I mean, you know, we try and do it. We can't really do it the way they do it. They're so agile. They're flicking off. How powerful and intelligent is that bird? And just as I was saying that, it flew straight into our patio doors, splat, and dropped to the floor, injured. It was strong, it was majestic, it was powerful, it's now injured. All of a sudden, its whole mindset and life had changed. It was injured, it couldn't fly, it was struggling. It was fragile. And this morning's about having faith over that fear of fragility. We'll come back to that bird. It's not saying, don't ever be fragile. But it is saying, don't be afraid of being fragile. Maybe even embrace it, and I'll show you why. But the problem is, the world, you know, if you do have this kind of message, you can be mocked, you can be seen as weak, so you might be afraid of that fragility. But let's have this faith over the fear of fragility. How about recognising that actually life hasn't been too great, and sometimes you may be, or feel fragile, or know somebody else who has, but you know what, you're still here, you still show up, you have the courage to seek help. You're still going and you're ready to fly again. Let's look at some biblical characters. These are heroes in the Bible. We hold them, as we should, in really high esteem. But they struggled sometimes and we can overlook that. You could have said they were very fragile at some points in their life. Let's have a look at a few of them and what we can learn. The first one, great figure in the Old Testament, Moses. You know, we've seen the Ten Commandments a few times. We know a lot about Moses. We know he's a Hebrew originally from the tribe of Levi. And um, this was a time when um, Israel was living as slaves uh, under Egypt. He was the youngest of three children. He had a sister named Miriam and a brother named Aaron. Now, Pharaoh, who was the leader of Egypt, was really worried about how fast the Israelites uh, were growing in number. And uh, because there were so many of them, he, he ordered all the baby boys killed. This would have included Moses. But his mother protected him. And in Exodus chapter 2, we're told that she saw he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But there came a time when she couldn't hide him anymore. She makes a a little boat, she puts him in it, and she hides the baby Moses in the reeds on the banks of the River Nile. And he doesn't stay there long because he's rescued by none other than Pharaoh, the, the person that wants Moses killed. She's rescued by his daughter. And of course, she's not able to nurse him. She hires a Hebrew woman to do the job. Guess what? That woman just happened to be Moses' mother. God already was active in Moses' life. And he has this amazing start to life. He, he grows up in the palace. He's got all the privileges, but he knew he was a Hebrew. And when Moses sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, the Bible says, Looking this way and that. So he's having a look around. He sees what's going on. And seeing no one, he kills the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Wow. He wasn't that great at having a look around because the next day a Hebrew slave went up to him and said, I saw what you did. First sign of fragility. Moses was afraid. It's just a sign of fragility. We all get afraid. Moses is now afraid. We all know we deal with fear, but so did Moses. Pharaoh finds out what Moses has done, and he's going to try and kill him. Moses literally runs for his life in fear. He lives out in the desert of Midian for 40 years, becomes a husband and a father. Fear shows up again later on in his life. In Exodus 3, he's tending the flock 
of Jethro, his father-in-law, when God appears to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses sees that though the bush is on fire, it doesn't burn up. And then this conversation starts between him and God. And essentially, God wants Moses to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. Moses is afraid, and he starts giving excuse after excuse. Exodus 3.11, Moses says, well, who am I? I can't go and do that. Who am I? I can't go and do that job. Straight away, he's relying on what he thinks in his own strength, his own capability. He'd been running in fear already, and now this person that we know becomes a great leader is plagued with self-doubt, and God answers him. Exodus 3, verse 12, I'll be with you. This is one of the most important things we can learn, right? The presence of God, even in my struggles that I've had, this is the... this is the overwhelming paramount thing of importance is knowing the presence of God is with me. Whatever I'm going through, good, bad, indifferent, that God is with me. That's what God says to him. I am with you. Then Moses says in in Exodus 4, verse 1, okay, what if they don't believe me? So God said, well, my presence is going to be with you. He goes, okay, but what if they don't believe me? Now he's not trusting God. Everything in Moses points to himself inwardly rather than God outwardly and then he picks up another excuse in in Exodus 4 verse 10 I've never been eloquent I am slow of speech and tongue God says well okay well your brother Aaron will help you quite often in lives when we feel weak or fragile God can send others in our lives to help God provides others to help and we're not on our own in that fragility and Moses Here's all this. And then in chapter 4, verse 13, and now maybe you should start to fear things, he's kind of saying, yeah, yeah, okay, I hear all that. But then he says, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. He's still not trusting. And we're told then that the Lord's anger burned against him. Then, now I'd fear. See, Moses had to trust God. He is aware of his own fragility, but he let that fragility control him I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it this is the reason this is the reason this is the reason God says you can I'll help I'll send people I am with you he had to get to trust God so to overcome Moses's fear God recruits Aaron his brother to help him uh, promises to be with them both Moses now um, is invigorated he rises to the challenge and through the long story that you can read in the Bible of the ten plagues and Pharaoh's opposition, he leads the Israelites out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of slavery. And then when he finds himself trapped between Pharaoh, because he's now changed his mind and started chasing after them and, 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 and was pursuing them, and the Red Sea, he's got across the sea, Moses, this, this kind of cowardly person from before, who said, I can't do it, uh, you know, even though you're with me, get someone else to do it, I can't even speak. Moses, we're told, Exodus 14, 13, stands up and says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. And he also prophesied, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And he was right. Moses led them through the Red Sea on dry ground by the power of God. And so now with God, all the doubts and the lack of confidence, even getting to a point, well, can't somebody else do it? Moses shows courageous leadership. And as we look at Moses, on the outside looking in, the people then, and even us now, would think very, very highly of him. But inside, he was very conscious of his own fragility. But in the end, his faith overcame the fear of it. He was still fragile, 
And that was okay, but he was, wasn't in fear of being fragile as long as God was with him. And that's a truth that we can all take away from this morning. Whatever circumstances we're going through, don't have to fear them because God, the Lord God, is with you. Second character, these two are the longest. Second character, Elijah. Another Old Testament character. See his story in, in uh, First Kings, so you can look that up, have a, have a look at it, and we're just going to give you this narrative again as we go along. Another hero, a great prophet. He experienced the power of God in a way that not many people did. Even in the book of James, much later on, we get uh, some insight into the prayer life of this prophet Elijah. In James 5, 17 and 18, it says, Elijah controlled the weather with his prayers. He prayed and it did not rain. For three and a half years, not a drop fell from the sky. Elijah prayed again and it rained. And so we see this New Testament insight about the power of Elijah's prayer lives. But when we look at that, when we look at that, and when we're going to look at the, the stuff that he saw, it's shocking. It is shocking that in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, Elijah prays to God and asks God to take his life because he's so down. And, and I don't say this lightly, it's a suicide prayer. This great man of God has got himself into a position where he's so desperate low, God, take my life. And the verses just before that show that he prayed that prayer because Jezebel, who's the wife of King Ahab, who was evil, had taken out effectively a contract and wanted him dead. And the Bible says Elijah was afraid and asked God to kill him. How did we get to this? How did this massive prayer person, massive prophet who'd seen the miracles, find himself running from a human being, a queen, hiding in the wilderness, praying for death? Let's have a look. King Ahab was, uh, we first see him in 1 Kings 16, and we're told twice that Ahab was more wicked and rebellious than any king who came before him. And he marries, he marries this princess named Jezebel. And the problem with Jezebel is she worshipped pagan gods, and it resulted in King Ahab bringing Baal worship and Asherah worship into the capital of Samaria. These are worshipping idols, these are worshipping things not of God. And it says in 1 Kings 16.33, summarising, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So he's in not a good place. Into this comes Elijah, our hero. Okay, His name appears for the first time in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And a rivalry, uh, uh, an antagonism uh, begins almost immediately with Ahab. Elijah, this prophet of God, tells Ahab that the Lord would not send rain on Israel until Elijah prayed for rain. Now, you can imagine Ahab's not overly happy about this, and God knew it, so he sends Elijah to go away. Elijah camps out uh, just east of the Jordan River, and the Lord commands a flock of ravens to provide the prophet with food. Okay, two miracles have happened already. Did you see them? First, Elijah prayed and the rain stopped. That is a miracle. Second, God has provided comfort and shelter and food for Elijah. And Elijah now is beginning to learn that there's power in prayer, the rain stopped, and God is someone who's with you always and is providing. So, then God sends Elijah to a foreign country. He meets a poor widow 
Uh, the widow, because there's been a famine, has reached a dead end in life and she was literally preparing to die. And Elijah tells her that if you feed him first, if you feed me first, you won't run out of oil or flour until the day God sends rain on the earth. The widow does what Elijah tells her and then, and then the widow, Elijah and the widow's son had oil and flour for three and a half years. Again, Elijah is learning about the power in prayer and also the God that provides. And then there's another story, the second story in 1 Kings 17. It's kind of related to the first. It's a story about death. We hear at some point in time the widow's son died. And the Bible said that Elijah cried out to the Lord about the widow's son. Three times he stretched himself out on top of the dead child, crying out to the Lord to bring the child back to life. The Bible says, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came back into him again and he revived. So, first we've got Elijah praying to God and it's controlling the weather. Then he's being uh, fed by a flock of ravens. Then he sees the miracle of oil and flour and then he sees the dead raised. Elijah is continuing on this journey of learning about the power of prayer and God who provides. But as great as those miracles were, and they're enough for many of us in our lifetime, as great as they were, they were nothing to the big miracle that we find in 1 Kings 18. After three and a half years, there's been no rain, uh, the famine in Samaria was severe, Ahab finally says, I need to talk to this man, Elijah. It's in 1 Kings 18, uh, 3-6. The Lord agrees, and he sends Elijah to visit with Ahab. And in this next dialogue, Elijah challenges the king. That shows courage. He challenges him to a showdown. He tells Ahab, go and get your 450 prophets of Baal, along with the 400 prophets of Asherah to Mount Carmel. And then Elijah challenges all 850 of them, 450 of the Baal prophets and 400 of the Asherah prophets. He challenges 850 pagan prophets of Jezebel to see if their gods could send fire from heaven. This is a big challenge. And we're told that these 850 prophets sang and danced from morning to noon, begging their gods to send fire to prove that their gods were the gods. And of course, there's no voice and no one answers them. And we're told that around noon, Elijah now, maybe his confidence is getting up a bit, he starts mocking them. He says, maybe you need to yell a bit louder. He suggested that maybe their god was on a journey or is he possibly sleeping? He's sarcastically mocking them. But equally, he's showing a lot of courage, isn't he, in his speech. He's standing in front of 850 people who would love to see him dead. And he has the courage to mock them for their foolish idolatry. This is a man who's learned from the droughts and the ravens and the oil and the flour and the death and the raising uh, from death to life. This is a man who knows the power of prayer and a God who provides. So the 850 prophets, they continue with their all the stuff they're doing, the dancing and, and even cutting themselves with knives. And again, there's no voice, no one answers, no one paid attention. And finally, it's Elijah's turn. He takes the stage. He's, he's pushing the boat out even further. He, he gets his offering and drenches it in water, proving that what was about to happen was no conjurer's trick. Elijah prays to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, asking him to show the people that he was the one true God. This is the moment of truth. And we're told that after he prayed, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, 
and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the tent. Again, Elijah experiences firsthand the power of prayer and the provision of God. Then there's a little nasty time because he kills all 850 prophets. Uh, and then it was time for rain. Elijah climbs Mount Carmel, bowed down on the ground and prays. And in a matter of moments, a downpour absolutely comes on the land. So add that one to Elijah's life experience. First the drought, then the ravens, then the oil, and then the flower, then the dead raised, then the fire from heaven, then the rain comes back. In all these really big lightning flashes, spectacular ways, Elijah's learning to trust in the power of prayer and the God that provides. And so you would expect that at this point in his life, he would be on the ultimate spiritual high, believing he could ask for anything to be done. And then we turn to 1 Kings 19, and we read that this bold, fearless, courageous prophet was afraid because Jezebel had promised to kill him. Accompanying the miracles, the faith, the one battles, the prayer life, here we find fragility. It doesn't make a lot of sense. He just, he just won this battle against the 850 false prophets. And now he's scared of a threat from one woman, human woman. Maybe he was tired, maybe he was frustrated by the fact that even after all these things, the people didn't repent. Maybe he was down because he felt like he was the last man on earth who trusted the Lord. We're told that in 1 Kings 19 verse 10. Maybe, like James reminds us, we just need to remember that Elijah was a man just like us, which means he's fallible and he can be fragile. And we finally get to the prayer. Elijah, the witness of all these miracles, God used him all those miracles. I've had enough now. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he falls asleep. And that is a bold thing to pray, especially when he knows the power of prayer. The power of prayer, the God that controlled the weather, multiplied food, raised the dead, sent fire from heaven. He could easily take Elijah's life. But instead of death, God sends an angel. He doesn't answer that prayer. Elijah doesn't get the the answer he wants. He sends an angel to feed Elijah, strengthens him for a 40-day journey to the mountain of God. And when he arrives there, God asks him a question. Having sent him there, God asks Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, he could have said, probably should have said, well, I'm your servant. You asked me to come, and that's why I'm here. Instead, he's really frustrated. And the scene, again, we're seeing the fragility. He responds in chapter 19, verse 10, out of the frustration of his heart. He looks around and sees no result from his labour. No one's repented. No one's turned back to the Lord. And he's assuming he's the only follower of God. And God sends Elijah to stand on the mountain. He sends a powerful wind that broke the rocks apart, we're told. God sent a terrifying earthquake that shook the mountains. He sends a fire that threatened to consume the mountain. But the Bible tells us, 1 Kings 19, 11-12, that God wasn't in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. Instead, God was in the sound of a low whisper. So we have to ask ourselves, what is God doing with Elijah? What is he trying to teach this prophet who's now disillusioned and discouraged and wants to take his own life? What about questions of why would Elijah be afraid of Jezebel and pray for death? I guess you can look at Elijah's experience up to this point. He's seen some amazing miracles. He had the privilege of participating in those miracles. God has used Elijah's prayers to control the weather, multiply the food, raise the dead, send fire from heaven. Elijah had come to expect the miraculous and the spectacular when he prayed. 
I wonder if we can fall into that trap sometimes. I go to God with my wish list. Can you do this, 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 this? And I want the miracle. I want the miracle. And of course, we do pray for that and we do see that. And I wonder whether Elijah was expecting another spectacular miracle to come from God. Maybe God would deal with Jezebel, just not get her out of the way. And he's despondent, he's begging for death, he's complaining to God. And God responds with a strong wind, a powerful earthquake, a raging fire. All of them spectacular and miraculous, none of them contained the presence of God. We're told instead that God was in the still, small voice. God was trying to teach Elijah. And he teaches us today that when we pray, that does not put God at our command. It's not that he ought to do what I tell him to do. And we know that God hears our prayers, and especially our fragility. And he can respond with the spectacular and the miraculous. But he also sometimes answers answers with a low whisper. But we're so busy looking for the spectacular and miraculous. So busy in our lives not to stop and think, we miss it. There's no spectacular miracle that's going to help Elijah from the threats of Jezebel. Instead, a low voice calls Elijah to continue his prophetic ministry. So if you're feeling fragile, you know, God doesn't always make it all go away and everything's just rosy. But what he does promise is in that fragility with you. And I've experienced that, a deep, deep experience of that. And it hurts and it's painful, but it's great. And we do need to pray with the boldness of Elijah, but remember that although God can and does respond in those big ways, our prayers never put God at our command. And as we wait for God, we've got to be grateful for the spectacular, grateful for the miraculous, but also grateful for the mundane, the ordinary, and the low whisper. Look at the Psalms, look at King David, the young lad who took a slingshot and uh, you know, killed um, the, the one that was so much bigger than him. Goliath was, was much, much bigger, but he slays him. And he's a hero in the Bible. Go and read some of the Psalms. Go and see sometimes the places he was at in his relationship with God. I'm not going to focus too much on it because we've come to our last two characters, but uh, Psalm 40, I always think of this, um, thinking of David, King David, the he- another hero. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet upon a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, heard my cry. Some translations say he kind of knelt down. He, he heard that I had to wait. Our last hero is Paul. Paul the Apostle in the New Testament. thought we'd better get the New Testament in as well. Um, now, we've got Paul the Apostle. He had amazing privilege growing up. He was very well educated, and, but he was a persecutor of Christians. He was a devout Jew, wasn't a Christian. But he's changed by God. He has an encounter with God. He ends up saying, well, I'm the chief of sinners. I, I got it all wrong. I've really been bad. But he's now a preacher for Christ. He preaches across the Roman Empire. He has three missionary journeys. He's beaten and he's shipwrecked. He wrote letters to New Testament churches which form a major part of our New Testament Bible now. He faced many things head on, tricky situations, conflict, both within the church and outside of the church. Okay, He was a strong character, yet he writes 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 3. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence 
Remember what Moses said, didn't have eloquence. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And get this, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. He was fragile. Weakness, fear, trembling. I don't know what your situation is, what you're worried about at the moment, what your fragility is. But look at this, this powerful man in the Old Testament still recognised his own fragility and weakness, but God was with him. He also said he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what that is. I don't know what your thorn in the flesh is, your fragility, my fragility. And often we'll say, well, I don't want it. I don't want that fragility. But, but I think the Bible teaches not to fear it. Okay, you might not want it, but don't fear it. And if, you, if you've got it, then God will use it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, when Paul's been talking about um, the thorn in his flesh, he said to me, he, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't ever want to be weak. I don't ever want to be fragile. Yeah, but hold on. My power is made perfect in your weakness. He goes on to say, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. We don't like doing that, do we? So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul is embracing his fragility. He's not in fear of it. He's not denying it. He's not saying, oh, it's not there. If I ignore it, it won't be there. But he's acknowledging it, and he's trusting God to use it. So as I close now, I hope you get inspiration from these stories, so two, mainly two Old Testament characters in this one New Testament one, that you can embrace fragility and weakness, but God will make something strong out of it. God will do a work in you that you would never believe, even in the dark times. But as you go through those times, these are some things I've learned from the Bible and my own experience. First of all, acknowledge it. It's very easy for me to put a brave face on things, but in the end, it won't do you no good. Share it. Seek help. Have friends around you, family. Don't be scared of going to the doctor or a therapist or your church minister. Be kind to others. That's the strap line at the moment, and I love that. It seems at the moment it's easy to say and, and people find it harder to do. But remember to be kind to yourself. Remember the Bible says, yes, love your neighbour as yourself. It's okay to look after yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Eat well, exercise, stop, slow down, reflect, pray, meditate, have stillness, have silence. You will see that, that Jesus did all of those things. Get outside in God's creation. Romans 1, 19 to 20. I found this really helpful in my journey. It says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, so right at the beginning, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So I walk through lake meadows and parks and woods. Just look at God's creation. There is someone behind that. It reminds you that you're not alone. And that bird that flew into our patio door window, we surrounded it. We didn't want it to die. It was injured. It was fragile. But we surrounded it. We put it in a box. We got some worms, um, did a few things. The next day, off he went. And as Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord 
will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. You can have fragility, but you can be strong in that fragility. Your faith can be tested, but have faith over the fear of fragility. Have that reliance on God and just see what he can do in that fragility, in that weakness. Maybe you're listening and you're doing okay. I can promise you, I think that's brilliant, but I can promise you, you'll know people are not doing okay. Surround them. Be one of the friends. And then we can all say together, Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I've known great times in my life and I've known some really tough times. What I do know is God is in the middle of all of them. And I'm not scared to be fragile. And maybe I'm not as bullish and maybe I'm not always happy. But he is with me. He's in there in the fragility and he's in there in the good times as well. And I want you to know that this morning. God is with you. God bless you. Be blessed. Be the blessing. Go out make a difference. Uh, And remember, even if you feel you're not up for it, so did Moses. Even if you feel you're fragile, God can work in you. Even if you feel you're weak, his power can be made great in your weakness. God bless you.